0: In what you're describing, there's an overlap of what you're describing with perfectionism too, which I see as a huge issue with a lot of our, particularly our high achieving kids, because it causes paralysis because there is no perfection.
1: My niece didn't get into her college of choice. She had a 4.3 GPA honors awarded from the state, awarded to her for civic engagement. She worked tirelessly on not only her studies year round, year after year after year, extracurricular activities, but also helping in the community. She's just a badass, but she still didn't get into her college of choice. Her high school had 38 valedictorians graduating alongside her, 38 I thought there could only be one valedictorian, but okay. Well, she is going to be just fine. The achievement culture that is perpetuated in our culture, in our society, starts really young, especially in school. And the pressure is on like never before on our students and children, but also for the parents. So, I invited esteemed author of the groundbreaking book, The Disintegrating Student, an academic coach Dr. Janine Janot, to talk to us about the achievement culture. As this is still intentionally part of the REST series, and as someone so deeply entrenched in the achievement mindset, I really have the most thought-provoking revelations about what makes a student thrive. I can tell you this, it's not writing your kids and providing every single tutor or resource available to help them get in the top schools. It was so eye-opening. So I want you to think of a few friends that have school-aged kids and text this episode to them. It could provide some much-needed relief and guidance as the journey is just as stressful and anxiety-inducing for the parents as it is for the students. Also, for more info, please go to AllisonHair.com. Leave your email if you'd like to hear from me in your inbox every week with a personal note. Here's my chat with Dr. Janine Jannet. You're like a legend uh, in, in our <laughs> private circles, so um, so it, it it truly is an honor for me. And as I've been reading, you know, I know you have this book called "The Disintegrating Student." Can you explain what does that mean?
0: So, the disintegrating student is a term that I coined to describe a type of student I saw when I started my academic coaching business that I wasn't expecting to see. Really bright, capable students, typically middle school, high school, maybe even college, um, who had just hit what I call rigor tipping point. They, all of a sudden, what they had been doing, just showing up, um, not studying very much and getting good grades nonetheless was not working anymore. So they were starting to get that inconsistent feedback that uh, what they weren't doing wasn't working and a lot of these kids interpret that as they're just not smart anymore and mm. this causes a whole cascade of issues in our kids um, as they you know encounter more and more rigor in academics which is ticking downward as you probably know, with younger kids, we're seeing more rigor at, at, at the elementary level and certainly at the middle school level, level. So these kids are kind of hitting that rigor tipping point sooner and sooner. Um, and so that's why I wrote the book, because I wanted to understand the phenomenon what was going on with our students. And then also, well, what can we do about it?
1: Where did you notice the drop? Is it, is it because of the age or is it the culture? Is it parental influence? Is it, what is it? Oh, it's a little
0: bit of everything, but I would say the most common rigor tipping points I was seeing was uh, late middle school, sophomore year in high school, and even that freshman first semester in college. But in the past four years, it's really been getting younger and younger. So I'm seeing a lot more of the fifth, sixth graders and certainly um, eighth and ninth graders, because a lot of middle school students are taking high school level classes. So mm-hmm. when they walk into high school, they may be taking a sophomore or junior level class, and if they don't have the skills, you know that set them up for success in those higher rigor courses, it is a lot. It's a lot for them to handle, and things just really start to disintegrate for them.
1: So when you when you say disintegrating students, so a million things are going through my head. You know the the rising amount of suicide and suicidal ideation in that age group. The pressure, the comparison, the social media, um, the teachers, and then even just, you know, like the college, the ability to get into colleges where the college admission rates have dropped dramatically uh, year over year. And then there's like the whole pandemic thing. So there's, there's a perfect storm of things that are happening. You know, I'm wondering, Dr. Janine, why was this so important to you? What what made you, you in particular so interested in education?
0: Well, my background, I have a master's in school psychology. So I worked as a school psychologist in the schools for a little while. And I have a doctorate in child and developmental psychology. So I'm very interested in what happens to our, our children developmentally. I just find that fascinating.
1: Mm. And
0: what ended up happening was um, all three of my kids Um, were identified gifted in elementary school and at some point my youngest was in uh, elementary school my middle child was in middle school my oldest was in high school Mm. and I started teaching college after just having come off teaching preschool
1: oh my goodness what a (laughs) joke but
0: at that time I just had this incredible bird's eye view of developmentally what was happening to our kids in the education system, like across the, you know, you know, from the early four-year-olds all the way up until they were in college. And my college students were incredibly stressed out. All the mental health things you just mentioned um, were certainly at the forefront. They were lacking a lot of skills. There wasn't a lot of transfer of knowledge from high school into college. And I realized, you know, watching my own kids at that time t- dealing with some of the stuff you mentioned, the comparison, the high pressure, high stakes, all the things that was going on with them in elementary, middle school, and high school, I was like, this is just not working. Mm -hmm. And the mental health piece of it was probably the thing that lit a fire under me more than anything else, because I could really see those college students struggling. And I could see exactly where it was coming from. So that's why I started academic coaching, because I learned working with my my students, my college students, that there was information they didn't have, there were skills they didn't have. And I thought, well, at least I could do that. And then it was through that coaching that I realized, okay, there's a phenomenon going on here, Mm -hmm. um, which led me to kind of push myself to do something I never thought I'd do, which is write a book.
1: Uh, And so I'm wondering from this book, what do you think was one of the most surprising findings through your research, through putting this together that, you know, you know, would knock us all off our feet? Like if we knew, you know, you have this bird's eye view now, you know, what, what kind of knocked you over?
0: Well, I think as a parent myself, you know, trying to raise my three kids in this achievement culture, the most surprising, overwhelming and challenging thing was that the role that I was playing as a parent in all of this. Mm. So, so much of what we do as parents, everything that we do as parents really is very well intentioned and comes from a place of love. But we are responding to the achievement culture that our kids are being educated in as much as they are and as much as the teachers are and as much as the colleges. I mean, everybody's responding to this idea that success equals data So our kids feel like data points from a pretty early age, Um, you know, what's your test score? What's your grade? What's your GPA? What are your standardized test score? Uh, That's how they're being measured. And so their learning has turned into this exercise of box checking. Let me check Mm -hmm. the box to get the grade, to complete Mm -hmm. the thing, to do the thing. And it's, we're missing a lot of that joy of learning and curiosity. And because as a parent, we want our kids to be successful, and you know, by the time they start getting in middle school, parents and kids are both are starting to think about colleges, and you know the the rigor track. You know, are you gonna are you gonna be on the right path? Are you gonna take enough rigor? Is your GPA in high school gonna be high enough? Are you gonna? And yeah, you, yeah. you need to be well rounded.
1: Yeah, you need extracurriculars. You need to be doing charitable work and and start organizations the check the box, check the box, check the box, check the box, and then maybe you'll get into
0: college X. And even if you check all the boxes beautifully, that does, there's no guarantee you get into college X. So this is, this is the environment that parents and and students are trying to navigate. And we as parents, I think stumble quite a bit in it because again, we want our kids to be successful. Sure. Um, But how we help them sometimes is actually counterproductive. So we're kind of getting in there and, you know, when they're really stressed out, maybe we're helping when they don't need us to want us to. Um, That's very, very problematic because part of that is if we keep doing that for a long period of time, the subtle message our kids get is that they can't handle it.
1: Yeah. So hold on. So let me, let me, pause right there. So if you're thinking about, we want to help. So we're coming from a place of love or coming from a place of wanting to be there. How do we know when to help and when not to help? And like, are there signs that we're missing as parents that we're jumping in there that where, where they don't need the help there? Like where are we crippling or enabling our child well, I think the way that we as
0: parents figure that piece out is being a little bit more self-reflective. If we find that we're helping in response to our own fear and anxiety around mm. the thing, we probably don't need to be helping. We probably shouldn't be helping um, because, in the long run, you know, it's it's you know our short-term comfort, but you know, our children's long term competency is at stake here. So if we're not giving them those chances where it's when it's safe, and relatively low stakes to make mistakes and fail and not follow through and all the things, what I see is these, these kids grow up, they go to college, and it really the floor just, it just falls out from under them, because they haven't had enough of an opportunity to figure this stuff out. When it was, A little bit safer
1: i've heard a lot of studies or read a lot of studies about uh people that were given all the advantage that they possibly could you know and kind of groomed to get into college but you know like fall flat when it comes to actual projects or or kind of dealing with real emotions because they've been checking the boxes like you said and i wonder about you know you said it. This really is about self-reflection from a parental perspective, and I think we're coming off of, you know, they call it hustle culture, right? And so, you know, like this this episode, this podcast is uh, we're talking about rest. It's the series of rest, and so when you think about achievement culture, this is an unlearning, right? And so, you know, what we learned ten years ago was. Hustle was that grind culture was work as hard as you can, stay later, come early, show them, you know, that you are so so committed. Um, but it is also externally and intrinsically motivated, not intrinsically motivated. So how do we begin to even unwind and unlearn our own challenges of that achievement culture that I I personally am very productivity minded, I'm trying to unwind that. And it's really hard. It's really hard to sit still and be quiet and feel like I'm not a loser because I'm not getting stuff done.
0: So mm-hmm. how do we
1: begin to unlearn that?
0: That's hard. And in what you're describing, there's an overlap of what you're describing with perfectionism too, mm-hmm. which I see as a huge issue with a lot of our, particularly our high achieving kids, because it causes paralysis, because there is no perfection we can't do things perfectly all the time. And, you know, helping students figure out what is a reasonable expectation. It's, it's important to, to strive, you know, healthy striving for achievement. We, we want our kids to do that. What we don't want is to have an unrealistic expectation that you have to do 100% of the things 100% of the time at 100%. And that's what a lot of our students feel like, like the, that's, that's what's at stake. Um, and it gets super competitive so it's these high achieving kids start competing against other high achieving kids so a 92 is something to be embarrassed about in your squad of friends mm-hmm. um you know, you know I got a 92 everybody else got a 96 or above that's not helpful uh, to our to our students so unwinding this whole thing you know we have to look at the the mindset that we're building in our youngest kids that's that's bleeding over into their, um, as they're turning into young adults. And that is is we're training them to have more of a fixed mindset. And I don't know if you're familiar with fixed and growth mindset, Carol. Can Dweck's, you explain
1: the difference? Because I know sure. you you, uh, allude to this in your book as well. So mm-hmm. I'd love to understand it better.
0: So most of the clients I see are, you know, it's on a, it's on a continuum a mindset or mm-hmm. um, it's a trait that's on a continuum. And it's basically uh, thinking about how smart you are, your ability as being fixed. So if you're in that fixed mindset space, it it means you feel like you're as smart as you are and you're not going to get any smarter. So when a student has that type of mindset when they start to get that inconsistent feedback, not all A's anymore, like we're throwing a C in here or something like that. They think, uh-oh, it's over for me. Mm. And they start doing things like self-sabotaging, self-handicapping. What does self-sabotage
1: and self-handicap look like in the sense? That instant. looks
0: like... Um, not turning things in, forgetting their work, um, not studying for tests. So that basically, they're trying to give themselves an, an external excuse for why I'm not this A high-achieving kid anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason they need to do that is because if we build these, if if we basically educate and parent our kids at a young age, telling them how smart they are, how fast they did that thing, how, what a good runner they are. And we're, we're praising them for these things. They don't have control over these traits and they internalize it because they've heard it from every adult since they were two years old, how good they are at this and how fast they are at this. When they've internalized it, when they start to get that inconsistent feedback that maybe they're not as smart or maybe they're not the fastest, then it's personal. That's their self-esteem, That's their confidence instead of, you know, you know, us praising them for things like their effort, you know things that are are in their control. so if we if we have more of a focus on praising children that way, we end up with students who aren't scared of challenges because for a fixed mindset kid, a challenge means I might fail, and I don't want to do that. so I just I'm not going to do that thing. A growth mindset student would say, oh, that looks hard and interesting and challenging. I'm going to give it a shot. And the difference between those two students is one thinks mistakes and failure is the worst thing in the world Mm. and to be avoided at all costs. And the other thinks, well, that's how, how else are you going to learn? I need to get in there, get messy, make some mistakes and figure it out. And we are raising more students that fall on that fixed mindset side of the continuum than we are in the growth mindset. And, you know, that's just a very difficult place for them to be because that ties into that whole mental health pieces as, as well.
1: So as I'm thinking about my own son, my own, I have a son who's nine and my son is, he gets A's. Sometimes you'll see some B's. We barely, he had some problems with math. We got him in tutor and now he's got A's and we barely discuss his academics at a home. And, you know, when I hear other peers, you know, parental peers talking about this one's in tutor, this one's in mathnasium, this one is in all of these after-school activities. And I start to think, shit i I really should push him harder and and it, it it there is a comparison not not only from a kid's perspective but the parents of you know they're they're involved in every art every sport every and my my son hates all of those things <laughs> you know like we've tried it and uh and we we don't put as much emphasis on it, but when you know we show him like hey you know like you're you got an eighty on your grammar test. Is it something that you're not understanding? He gets mortifyingly embarrassed. Like, I tried so hard, mom. I, I thought I got it. And I wonder how much of it is nature versus nurture and understanding how your child learns and what's important to them. So I think I layered about four different topics to cover in that one well, uh, I feel Well, I
0: feel your pain <laughs> in that because I you know, I struggled with that comparison thing as well because we're sucked into the culture. Am I doing because, enough? Right? Yeah. Am I doing a good job if I'm not pushing my kid? If I'm not giving them every opportunity? If I, you know, and I and I still struggle with that. And I have young adult children, but I, it's just part of the culture. And I think the answer to that for us as parents is speaking about changing cultures. Um, or influencing cultures is we really have to have conversations in our own families because to change the achievement culture is a huge ask. Mm
1: -hmm. I mean, it's
0: glacially slow because this goes, it's very top down. It's very,
1: how do you um, not get caught up in that current though? It's you know, like when parents talk, they talk about all the activities, the achievements, the AP classes, and you're like, huh, my kid's not in any of those. Am I screwing it up? You know, like it's so easy to get caught in that current And I'm sure it's even worse for kids, you know, that are explaining that. I I don't know how to... I don't think you can avoid it, honestly.
0: So that's why my advice would be it has to be a conversation in your family that gets repeated a lot Mm -hmm. about first putting it on the table with your kid, sort of age appropriate, you know, here's what school expects or basically explaining what the achievement culture is out there. So mm-hmm. they're even aware of it. I mean, they're influenced by it, but they may not really be explicitly aware of- That's
1: interesting, you know, yeah. The
0: way it is. So having that conversation, okay, so here's kind of what's expected. What's, what, what are, what's success for you? What's success in our family? Does it have to be- Um, You know, eight APs, do you have to have a 4.0? Do you have to do, you know, three extracurriculars and, you know, be in the play and do the thing, you know, and having that conversation with each child and then recognizing what is, what will happen based on the decisions your family makes. So if you have one of those kids who puts a lot of pressure on themselves and wants, you know, knows in eighth grade, they definitely want to go to an Ivy League school. Mm -hmm. Well, then buckle up. You're hardcore in the achievement culture and it's going to suck. And that has to be, that has to be acknowledged because, you know, I, I'll have clients come to me and they're like, this is too much. And I don't have enough time to do all this in my mental health and I'm not sleeping. It's like, but you can't have all the things. If you've got all the things, that's the result there's only so many hours in a day and we Mm -hmm. only have so much energy and attention and focus to give to what we have to do. So I feel like where we have the most control and where we can make the biggest difference is in our own families, having those conversations and really, and then it's up to us parents to live by what we've talked to our kids about. Mm So keeping ourselves in check as far as getting sucked into that achievement culture. When we're out there with our friends, you know, having a glass of wine and they're talking about the things and we, our heart starts beating a little bit because we feel like, Oh shoot, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Um, But then taking that step back and reminding ourselves of why. And hopefully over time we can kind of flip that top down model. That's influencing how our kids are being educated in this achievement culture. And we can, we can really be looking at parents and students and teachers who are the ones who really do understand how to educate kids where they're the ones influencing the culture.
1: They're Mm -hmm. the ones
0: with practice programs and policies that are educating our kids instead of it coming from the top down and they're just being told you need to do this now, you need to do this now. Check this box, check this box.
1: So I wanted to touch on something that I think Uh, is important to acknowledge is that scarcity of, if you don't do this, you won't get that, you will not be successful. Or the abundance of opportunities that may not be the traditional, they might be. I don't know. Like, I think You know, there are YouTubers that are seven years old that are making way more money than I am, you know, uh, and that I may never even imagine, you know, I think there are so many other alternatives that are viable that, you know, like, I, I think your question of what does success look like is really powerful, but I also want to acknowledge the scarcity mindset Of, there are only a certain, you know, 22% of applicants are going to get into this college versus something higher. So how do you address that?
0: Well, when I talk to students, I make sure they understand there's a college for anybody who wants to go to college. There are thousands and thousands of colleges. Now we're in Georgia, so if you want to go to UGA or Georgia Tech, it's hard. You know, you you have to you have to have a 4.0 for the most part and take in a whole bunch of APs and it's and even if you do all those things you may or may not get in. So that's just kind of the reality on the ground, but there are so many colleges out there that might be a better fit for a student. And so part of it is getting out of the idea that you need to go to college X to be successful because it, it, it's almost that, you know, when I work with families, particularly the students, it's almost as if they think the acceptance into college X is going to be the thing that makes them successful. Like that's end of the line mm. because they, that's, that's their mentality in school. I'm checking the boxes to get into college X. So then when they get in, it's like, whoo, cool. I'm done. And then they go, And it's a whole different ballgame. It may not be what they expected and it may not be the right fit for them. So that's where you see kind of students flame out and, you know, have to go to a different school or take a year off. So, you know, if we could just get to the point where students are a lot more open-minded about, you know, their choices for colleges, um, if they would stop talking about safety schools, which I think is a, I don't, I don't really like that term because Tell me why. somebody, well, somebody's safety school, cause especially you think about, you know, the, the, the parents sitting around talking about, Oh, my kid didn't get it, you know, didn't got into here. And, you know, we put this as their safety school and you're, there's a mom in that group and their kid, that safety school is her kids reach school. It, it, I think it's insulting. And I and I and I think the the way kids hear it, I think it, it hurts a lot of feelings. I think it doesn't help what I'm trying to say here, which is be open to finding the right school for you. And we don't need to be ranking schools in this really kind of reputation way that doesn't really translate into what success looks like for those college graduates at all. It's like
1: a whole world though. You know what I mean? Like even (laughs) it's a whole world. And then you think about the scandals of the cheating, you know, to get in with the celebrities and all of that. And, you know, as I'm thinking about me, it has weighed on me forever that my SATs were terrible. And I took them three times and got dumber. And I did not get into my chosen school. I wanted to go to Rutgers and I kept applying and kept not getting in. And so I went to Kane University in New Jersey. Nobody's heard of it, but they gave me a degree and it was fine. But it is something that has carried me my whole life. And it wasn't that my mother or my father were trying to push me into it. It was so intrinsic. And so I feel like I've spent my entire life trying to prove that I'm not dumb you know, that I am smart. And so if I think about, you know, my own baggage, (laughs) you know, of, of not putting that on my kids or putting so much pressure on these, you know, elite and high, you know, uh, uh, reputation, you know, great reputation schools, it's, it's hard, you know, like there is some type of an achievement of getting in that, um, that can't be ignored all the time. I wish it wasn't that way, but no, there I is agree. a sense that I feel of just, it. it's a big deal it and I don't know how deal. to unwind it. Yeah.
0: Well, one thing that I'm a huge fan of, and I'm becoming a bigger and bigger fan of it every year is the gap year because partly because we're raising the youngest generation of kids I think we've ever raised. And by that, I mean, you know, 18 year olds are more like 15 year olds and 15 year olds are more like 13 year olds because we are helping them so much because we are protecting them and kind of snow plowing the experiences for them um, because of the pandemic is certainly contributing to that too. Our, this generation of kids highly values their physical and psychological safety as they should, but they're all they're They're missing some of that normal developmental push that typically would be happening happening in adolescence after puberty, that pushing away from families, that risk taking, that's not happening to the degree that it used to. So we're sending, so that means, yay, in high school, they're not doing a lot of the high risky things that maybe, you know, my back in the 80s that I was doing in high school, 70s and 80s. But at the same time, that means they're going off relatively inexperienced when they go to college and that's why we can see so much destructive behavior and binge drinking and things like that that's really getting them into a lot of trouble and i just feel like it would be great if our high school graduates went out there and worked figured out you know what does interest them because a lot of them graduate with no idea they, they either have an idea, I want to do this because of the money. Um, occasionally, I'll come across a student who, like, since they were 10, wanted to be a doctor. But those are the rare kids. It's mostly the kids who um, they've heard something from somebody or they know how much somebody makes or my parent does this and so I'm going to do it. And they haven't, they don't have a lot of work experience. They don't have a lot of responsibility outside of, you know, just getting the good GPA and getting into the college, that's been their whole thing. So I'm a fan of that. And that takes that scarcity issue down a little bit because that's when you apply off off of a gap year and you can do, um, there's a lot more programs springing up where you can actually choose your gap experience. So you could do a Hmm. wilderness experience. You can do kind of like a mini Peace Corps kind of thing. So there's all kinds of things available to students now. I think that makes you an even more interesting candidate when you're applying so you have to college. experience,
1: so when and do you're you feel mature. like a, a gap year is not? When do you feel like a gap year makes sense, and what situation do you feel like a gap year would not make sense?
0: I honestly can't think of a scenario where it doesn't make sense. Hmm. I, I don't see how a student wouldn't benefit
1: from it. I immediately I mean, am getting heart palpitations at, thinking about, okay, my kid wants to, t- or, you know, we're going to take a gap year. Or are they going to go to at, college? <laughs> are they going to go well, a different way? Well,
0: athletics would be, might, might be the exception. So if you got yeah. signed, you know, to play, I, that would be where it wouldn't make a lot of sense. Um, but I, I mean, I understand what you're saying because then the risk is, well, Will they just be a manager, or burger king for the rest of their life? It, right. You know, if that's not what they initially thought they would do, that's not what you would plan for them to do, then that could, you know, cause some anxiety. But I, I really do feel like our kids are going to be more successful and mentally well when they are driving that bus. When it's they are so culture figuring changing. It out.
1: It is so culture changing. Like it's, you know, it goes against everything that we know for generations, honestly. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I love the idea that there are gap uh, programs. I didn't realize that. I'm wondering about your experience and your information, your uh, your take on hybrid schooling and online, um, especially through the pandemic. I know you wrote your book right before the pandemic and then mm-hmm. uh, quickly updated, <laughs> but what is your approach on that?
0: So I, I think that's very student-specific. So I've seen students just do incredibly well uh, virtually. And I've seen students just completely implode.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: my concern about, it's especially like middle school, high school, you know, full virtual experience, while there's, you know, there's a lot more... You can get pretty creative with where you're getting your courses and it, you can kind of create your experience. The issue becomes I've seen students, you know, their anxiety, their social anxiety can um, become problematic because they're not getting as much socialization. So that's the one piece of the virtual. I think it's super important to make sure there are still those developmentally appropriate. Kinds of opportunities for socialization because that's a huge task of adolescence is to mm-hmm. figure out who you are, figure out how to be in the world with other people. Those interrelationships um, hybrid, I think, is a great option for so many students, particularly a lot of the really high achieving kids who may be overextended. It it allows for a little bit more flexibility in scheduling. You know, as far as um, you know, you can be away at your sport for larger periods of time and you can be working on the virtual um, part of your education when you can, instead of having to show up six hours a day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I, I see a big, I see an issue with so many students you have um, at least some level of ADHD that they might be struggling with. Those students oftentimes are very challenged with the um, online learning and staying focused. So, I think it really just depends on the student. I'm really glad it's here as an option because I feel like that's that's one step in the right direction that we have more options available, and we're not just treating every student like fit in this box.
1: Cookie cutter um, right. Yeah, exactly. What are some signs that you see like if you're looking at your children? And what are some indication that maybe you need to pivot from a conventional approach? Are there certain things that you might notice or signs that you might look for that'll kind of alert you that maybe we need to take a different direction?
0: Students who hate school, you know, school refusal, I mean, that's something you have to take pretty seriously regardless if it's happening you know, in elementary school or middle school or high school, whenever it's happening, what is going on there? Um, And I I see that with students who maybe do need some more accommodations. So, you know, it's, imagine going to a place where you spend the majority of the hours of the day there, six or seven hours, and you feel dumb, you feel lost, you feel vulnerable. I, just the anxiety of trying to keep that emotionality regulated and try to learn is mm-hmm. a lot for some students, depending on what it is that they're bringing to the table that that prevents them from fitting into the cookie cutter um, classroom. So I think those are the students that probably benefit the most for more, you know, project-based learning kinds of programs, um, some private school. There's all kinds of programs out there. Unfortunately, you know, sometimes they're not within people's reach financially. Right. Um, but to look into scholarships, um, things like that, I think it's a, it, I think it's worth looking into if your child really, really hates school. Mm. Which I hate to hear, especially Ugh. those elementary kids. No elementary kid should hate school. And when I started hearing that, when my youngest was in elementary, you know, the, there was anxiety. There were kids, you know, with school phobia. There were kids who were throwing up before tests. I'm like, this is Ugh. not okay for third graders. Not. Well, I guess okay. I wonder
1: about that too. Like my daughter is six, and she's like, I hate school. It's so boring. But she goes to it and she's fine. So, you know, like, I don't want to minimize, you know, like at what point do you maximize or minimize, you know, them them complaining about going to school? When it becomes,
0: when it's disruptive
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: to them, to their, you know, ability to kind of go about their daily business and when it's disruptive to the family. Mm. So if there are just huge meltdowns every single night over homework and those kinds of things where it's impacting the quality of life in your family. That's when it's, and most kids will say they're, they're bored at school and yeah, it's in kind a of fun, and Right. the next day it's like, oh, it's great. Cause yeah. you know, so-and-so was sitting next to me or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty typical, but the, but the kids who like really mean it, like if I would do anything not to have to go again, those are the kids that worry me.
1: Oh my goodness. So, what do you know that you wish other people could know?
0: Hmm. I wish we were more comfortable in our families and in our schools making mistakes. I wish we could normalize messing up. I wish everything didn't have to feel so high stakes. And I I, Mm. I think what the the thing that would be great for people to understand about that is the joy of learning actually comes out of those opportunities to make mistakes. That's where our confidence comes from. Um, The three things that motivate human beings, um, feeling like they're in control, so having some autonomy in a situation, feeling like they're competent to handle what it is, Mm. and feeling connected. If you think about that, having control, feeling competent, feeling connected to what you're doing, does that describe our students? <laughs> it really doesn't. So the fact that our students are incredibly apathetic at, at times and have very low motivation, particularly coming out of these past two years dealing with COVID, it's not at all surprising to me. So, you know, for us as parents, what that means is pulling back on that helping piece and giving our students, our children a lot more control over their lives. That's one of those huge pieces. And with control, they can feel more confident. And then the connected piece, you know, if we're talking with them and we're kind of understanding, having those conversations around the achievement culture, then there we've got the connection piece. So I feel like those three things together would really help us kind of at a family level, the family systems level, move forward.
1: So I love that. What do you think, what do you see coming out from a cultural perspective that gives you hope for a better future?
0: Well, I think the pandemic opened opened the eyes of parents in a way we really got a peek into what what schools really like for kids. So I think for years and years and years, we've been hearing the complaints. But when we were having to, you know, kind of be over their shoulders and seeing what was really going down, it was, I think, shocking for a lot of parents. And and parents were very frustrated, too. They sounded like the kids for a while. Um, so I think that's good, because then the conversation makes a lot more sense because we're all on, we're not trying to defend because I feel like parents before the pandemic were trying to defend the achievement culture. Like, well, Mm -hmm. this is what you need to get ahead and this, you know, not Mm -hmm. really hearing our kids. And I think it's opened up the space to talk about the mental health side of what's going on with our, with our kids. So, I mean, I'm just very optimistic that if we keep talking, if we keep putting up boundaries as a family, as far as like we go into school and say, no, my child won't be doing three hours of homework a night. And no, we won't be doing this. And no, I won't be checking the portal. Uh, those are things we can do as a family that can start to influence you know, the bigger, the bigger systems mm. inside the culture so that they could maybe start making subtle changes. But other than that, I, you know, it's just not going to change overnight it's a big
1: job yeah it's a a big big, mountain to move It is. so how do people find you how i know you you do one-on-one work as well as as the book uh the disintegrating student how can people get in touch with you or work with you
0: So probably the best way is my website, JanineGeneau.com. And I have a newsletter that I put out once a month with called Some Thoughts, which is literally whatever I'm thinking about in this space over the past month. Um, And all my information about coaching and the book and speaking are all there. and My social media uh, links are there too.
1: Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much for being here and for your work and your advocacy for our kids and the parents, because my goodness, wouldn't it be nice for us to have mental health as parents and as children, as families? Yes. (laughs) Thank you so very much. Y'all, I was so surprised that the studies showed that offering every resource advantage to help your child get into the choice schools tip the scales to more anxiety more than results and not as effective as providing a more loving, trusting environment. It seems kind of counterintuitive to our culture, which is why I'm so grateful to Dr. Janine Janot for helping us reshape how we invest in our kids going forward. Do you have feedback on this? Do you have any comments or thoughts? Send me a note and go to allisonandhair.com and want to get the book for yourself or work, the book is called The Disintegrating Student. If you want to go get it for yourself or work with Dr. Janine, I've linked her info in the show notes. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week.